The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading today is from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verses 14, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. As was stated, next week we are uh, starting a new series on God's Word in the church, and we are going to see a little video uh, introing that. But um, I've been pouring through Ephesians over the last month and just had to um, set up the setup, if you will, um, and couldn't not uh, jump into Ephesians this morning um, and, and, and really focus on the very heart of the motivating message of Ephesians, and it is God's love to God's people. Um, God's people need to be reminded, you and I need to be reminded, of how deep and wide, how long... God's love is for you and me. Um, I texted my daughter, Amy Catherine, this week. She's getting her master's from the University of Colorado in counseling. And I asked her this question. I said, what is the hardest thing for people to believe um, psychologically? What's the hardest thing for us just to get And her first response was that they need to change. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. But then immediately she texted another that they are worth changing. And that got me thinking, and I I, I did study on what causes change. And I found a study by a Harvard uh, psychologist who who statistically or, or, or ran this test and produced these statistics that say if a person recounts a story of that that you know reminds them of their worth if if we recount a story of uh, something that has made us feel good in life then we will be much more inclined to accept change and, and the, the study group were conservative um, political people, people that are conservatively, uh, you know, in their politics, they're conservative. And um, some, a, a politically conservative person, if they recount a positive story about themselves, will be more inclined to accept change and, and hear out their um, opponent, if you will, on the other side. Is it any wonder then that because God's truth is truth, 
Is it any wonder that Paul begins the book of Ephesians, his letter to the church in Ephesus, again, he's writing to believers, is it any wonder that he reminds them of the deep love of God? He spends at least three chapters hammering this reality, reminding them of how much God loves them, but he doesn't stop there. Then he begins to talk about the changes needed. Then, in, in, in chapter 3, right before the passage that we just read, and in, in kind of intermixed in, in his message, he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And then he goes on to talk about their language and how they treat each other. Is it any wonder that he reminds them of the love of God before he calls them to change? No, because that is how change happens. The law changes no one. The law doesn't change us. Only the love of God changes us. And yet, for you and me, in the world that we live in, that pits truth and, 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 and grace and God's love against one another, as if you can't be loving if you have standards you can't be loving if you're against or if you call out certain things as sin. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible puts them as they should be, and that's hand in hand. Because love changes all of us. It's the only way you and I are changed, as we're going to see in just a minute. You see, who and what we love is precisely what we are becoming. Do you hear me? Who and what you love is precisely what you're becoming right now. You become what you love. I become what I love. And yet also, we respond to that which we believe is loving us best. We respond and we hold up those things in our lives that we feel like are going to love us best. That's why John said, we, you know, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because He first loved us. Our love of God is reactionary, and therefore change in our lives is reactionary. So let's look this morning, because we need to hear this message as much as the believers in Ephesus. I know in my own life that God's love for me often just kind of rests as an uh, as a intellectual reality. It rests on the surface of my heart. And, and that's what worship is all about. It's about driving what we know deep into our hearts that it might bring change in our lives. And so we need to hear this message, not that we might be convinced intellectually, but so that we might be a community of men, women, boys and girls that are so convinced of the love of God that we are being radically changed that the world might be radically changed. But it all starts with God's love. We don't start with the law. We start with God's love. And so that's what Paul does. Let's look at it. First of all, clearly... Paul, and I would say God too, wants us to live knowing the extent of his love. Just to kind of drive this home a little more, as I announced, Thursday morning we found out that we were awarded this Lilly Grant. And it was interesting. It wouldn't have mattered what else I heard for that day at least, if not the first few days, if not even into this morning, it wouldn't have mattered what other news we got. Nothing was going to overshadow that news. 
I mean, the fact that, that we got this grant, that we could, um, you know, have this focused time for four months and travel literally the world knowing that, that, that we don't deserve it any more than anybody else. Knowing, in fact, many reasons why we don't deserve it. And yet we felt like we were the objects of mercy. It felt like kindness. It felt like goodness. And you see, good news has that power. It has the power to sustain us in the midst of bad news. And there is a lot going on in the early church, believe me. People are dying for their faith. Paul is writing this epistle from prison. He is in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Because of his vocal faith in Jesus Christ. And he has preached the gospel, he has planted churches, and how has he been rewarded? He's been thrown in prison, and yet what is he doing? He's not sulking. He's not consumed with his own circumstances. But what does he do? He says to the the Ephesian believers, I go to my knees in prayer for you that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That you might know the height and depth and length and width of the love of God for you. That you might have that fullness, the very fullness of Christ dwelling in you. You see, his circumstances didn't dictate his outlook. But the very love of God for him, the truth of God for him, drove his outlook, drove his demeanor, and drove his focus. Circumstances, bad circumstances, prison, didn't drive him into self, but it propelled him toward other people. Why? Because he was a man that was convinced of the work of God in his life. And the question is, are you... Are you, are you being blown here and there by every news report, by every Facebook post, by every Instagram picture? Are you being blown here and there? Is your confidence all over the place? Or are you certain? Are you, are you on a strong foundation where the winds can be blowing and you are solidly convinced that no matter what happens to me, my God reigns and He loves me. And there is nothing that can pluck me from His hand. There is no news that I'll hear today. There's nothing going on in my life. And there's nothing going on in this world that's going to shake me from knowing the reality that my God loves me. And this world can fall apart. But one day, someday, all things will be made new because Jesus went into the ground and He came out of the ground. And one day, someday... The same will happen to me unless He comes first and then I'll just meet Him in the air. Is that your hope? Is that your hope this morning? That's what Paul wants to be our hope. And so he begins by saying, in love He predestined you in chapter 1. He predestined you for adoption. What is God's purpose for you? What is His plan for you? For you to become His son, for you to become His daughter. In love, He predestined you to become for adoption through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, He calls us beloved children. And then in our passage, He says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, capital S, in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's just walk through this. First of all, he prays for strength. He does it twice. According to the riches of glory that He may grant you to be strengthened. And then further down, that you may have strength to comprehend. The Greek word that He's using there for strength means this psychological fortitude. Why do you and I need strength to believe that God loves us? Because we know us. (laughs) We know what our real thoughts are. We know what our real lives are. We know who we are. We know we don't deserve it. And that's why Paul prays for strength to comprehend how much God loves us. Because we need that. And this is how much we need it. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the distinguishing mark of Christianity from all other religions. You see, all other religions are put forth a, a, a ladder, if you will, steps to walk toward becoming accepted by God. And yet Christianity says Jesus came and He already walked those steps. He's already done everything necessary for God to accept you fully as His son or daughter. All you must do is put your faith in Him. All you must do is believe on Jesus. Believe He's the one that lived the life that you could never live. And He's the one that was condemned in your place, therefore dying the death that you could never die. And that is the gift. That is the basis upon which God accepts us as His own and declares us righteous in Christ. And when that happens... Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. God lives in us when we are appropriating what God has done for us in Christ through faith. When I am believing in a moment that God loves me because of the work, the all-sufficient work of Jesus, God is literally dwelling in me. Unbelievable. You are not alone, Christian. That's how Paul wants us to live. He wants us to live with the very presence of God in us. Then he goes on. Notice he he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Get this picture of a tree in your head with the roots going down deep. Henry Nouwen said this. He said, only when your roots are deep can your fruit be abundant. Do you see, it's what I was talking about a minute ago, when we, this whole concept of love, and I I think every major concept that is essential to living righteously in Christ Jesus is attacked by the evil one in our flesh. And this whole concept of love sounds so flimsy. It it just sounds so, just kind of out there, like it stands for nothing. But no, to sink deep into God's love for you is to be rooted and grounded. Why? Because it's not that you aren't exercising faith. All of us in this room are exercising faith right now in something. You're believing the, the, the dismal report of your life. You're believing the report of, um, 
you know, the world around you, your, your performance review at work, your, your, your dead-end job, your, your finances, your bank account, your, your prognosis from the doctor. You're believing the circumstances of your life. And what Paul is saying is you need to believe the reality that you are loved of God because of the finished work of Jesus. That needs to be your rootedness. So that when the wind starts to blow and circumstances start to change, though it feels like God has abandoned you, you can stand and say, no, He has not because of Jesus. Do you see that? That's what Paul is praying for us as a church, to be rooted and grounded in love. And notice he says, together with all the saints... Do you understand this morning how much I need you to believe that God loves you and how much you need me to believe that God loves me? There is nothing more effective to get us down in the Christian life than a Christian who is skeptical, who is joyless, who is always complaining, and whose life is all about them. I mean, Jesus calls that yeast in the dough. And all it takes is a little bit of yeast to kill us all. Do you understand? That's why Paul brings in this, and he's beginning to, or he is showing us here as really the, the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians. And that is that, that the church be the church. It's not just about what Christ has done for us individually, but what, what He has done for us individually is to impact the very body of Christ. So together with all the saints, if you can't believe the love of God for just yourself this morning, understand that your neighbor, your spouse, your children, your parents, your fellow church members need you to believe it. Because they need your joy. Because they're living in the same world you are. They need it. Together with all the saints. It is a community event. It's a community power. And then he says that this power is limitless. This whole idea of breadth and length and height and depth. You see, it's not that we are to take each one and try to, okay, the height and and the width and the depth. No. His whole point is it's infinite. You can go up, you can go down, you can go sideways, you can, wherever you go is the love of God. It's inexhaustible. It is immeasurable. Folks, my grant has a measure. $49,966 to be exact. And when I spend it, it's done. But guess what? The love of God is never done. The love of God is deeper. The love of God is higher. The love of God is wider. It will not betray you. You cannot exhaust it. Though you need it day by day, it is present. It is real. It's available because it is immeasurable. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, God has paid for it. He loves us enough to give His Son. That's how much you're worth. That's how much Richard Reeves is worth. And you say, no, I'm not. And you're right. But God gave it and He did it. Isn't that beautiful? But God proves His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, He died for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. He is our performance. 
What burden are you bearing this morning? God is not convicting you of the sin of your life to condemn you. But only that you might look to Jesus and say, Hallelujah, He has done it for me. He is my righteousness. He doesn't want you to feel horrible about yourself this morning. He's wanting you to give you power that you might turn your back on sin and you might trust the very finished work of Christ. God is the essence of love. 1 John 4 eight says He is love. This is the good news of the Gospel. Namely, that God lives in us through faith. So what is keeping you from believing the love of God this morning? Name it. Define it. What has happened to you? What have you done? What are you afraid you will do? Are you comparing yourselves with others? That's your problem. Stop looking at others and start looking at Jesus. He's done it. He's done it. It's paid for. It's done. That's the whole point of Christianity. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You're right, but Jesus does. And He says, I love you. There is nothing you can do. There is no sin that takes you too far away. Believe it this morning. Because when you do, it will start to change you. Number two, God's love changes us. I ran into a neighbor yesterday that I hadn't seen in a long time, uh, several years. And he used to be kind of a pudgy guy, you know, kind of a short and round kind of guy. And he, you know, CrossFit. I mean, I knew it once I saw it. Why? Because he had the shirt on. They all wear the shirt, man. If you're in CrossFit, you got the shirt on. You got the hat. I don't know. You got the CrossFit. You know. I, just, I knew right away. Ah, CrossFit. And true, he changed his diet. He changed the way he invested his life physically. And guess what? The shape of his body changed. I almost didn't recognize him. The Bible tells us, and what Paul is getting at, is that what you're feeding your soul is what is shaping you. And what he's saying is, get shaped by the love of Christ. See, when we see, when we're convicted of sin in our lives, when we feel bad about who we are and what we are, what's the first thing we do? We run to the law. Oh, I'm going to get on this diet. I'm going to, I got to read more books. I got to, you know, I got to get another job. I got to, you know, I got to work harder. I need, all the stuff that we have to do. And in Christianity, no. I mean, God says, stop it. Be still and know that I am God. Just be still. And that was the beauty of the last month for me. I could just be still. I didn't have a meeting to go to. I got so relaxed. I got so full of just the reality of who I am in Jesus that I forgot a speaking engagement last Monday. I was supposed to speak to the, the older men of Second Pres, and I didn't even look at my calendar because I hadn't looked at my calendar in a month, and I missed the whole thing. I've never done that in my entire life. But why was that? I felt horrible. But I didn't feel as horrible as I would a month ago. Why? Because Jesus is my righteousness. Yeah, do I feel bad? Do I repent? Do I call Him? Do I pro- pro- yeah, but does it define me? No. Jesus defines me. He's my identity. Do you see it? See, the love of God changes us. Let me just say this. You and I, 
cannot live the lives that we were created and made for without tangibly feeding on God's love for us in Christ Jesus constantly. Your problem is not that you don't know the law of God. Your problem and my problem is that I don't believe the love of God. I allow the law of God to so condemn me that I'm not focused in believing the love of God. Change only comes in the context of God's love. And yet, when we know God loves us, we change. That's why I've watched the holiday at least 10 or 15 times in my life, because I'm married and I have three daughters. Love changes us. It shapes what we like and don't like. And when you know God's love for you, it will shape your taste and your desires. It will shape... When, when you know that God loves you and you know the reality of your sin, you can't help but want to repent. May the love of God become so real to every single person in this room that repentance happens. Not repentance out of guilt, but repentance out of love. Do you see that? That's what Paul wants us to see. When you feast your soul on God's love, it will shape your life in a different direction. Thus Paul says in chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then thirdly and finally, love's only context is community. And that's what this whole series coming up is about. Bringing church back and therefore bringing His Word back. Why do we need His Word? to believe? If we don't believe that God's Word is God's Word, then we're not going to believe the message that I'm preaching this morning. If you don't believe that's from God, then you have... There's no foundation to believe the work of Christ and to believe what He's done for you unless you believe the very Word of God. Because your circumstances are rarely going to convince you that God loves you in this life. You see, God didn't promise to change all of the circumstances of our lives to make us feel loved. He gave us Jesus that we might feel loved. And yet, why did He do that? He did it not just to create, not just to change individuals, but He did it to create an entire community that loves God and is convinced of God's love and is being changed. Do you know what this world needs more than anything else? They don't need our condemnation. They don't need us to tell them what they're doing wrong. You know what they need from us? They need from us a countenance of a life that is convinced in the finished work of Jesus Christ for us personally that so radiates joy and gladness and kindness and goodness that they want to know the Jesus that, that loves us. That's what this world needs from us. And that's what Paul is getting at. And that's why people don't want to go to church because there's nothing divine about the people of God anymore. 
Do you see Paul is writing to one of the first multi-ethnic churches? That's this whole thrust of uh, his message to the, the, the believers in Ephesus is the fact that the message has come not just to Jews but also to Gentiles. This is what he said at the top of uh, chapter 3. He said, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul had to write to remind each believer, both Jew and Gentile, that God loved them individually and corporately the same so that they could get over themselves and start loving each other. Here's why I need you to believe the love of God and why you need me to believe the love of God. If you don't believe the love of God, then you're going to look to me to be your God. You're going to look to this church to be your God. You're going to look to your spouse. You're going to look to your children. You're going to look to your parents. You're going to look to your neighbors. You're going to look to your job. You're going to look to your bank account. You're going to look to whatever to be for you what only God can be for you. And you know why you need me to believe the love of God? So that I can preach the Word of God and I don't need your approval. I don't need you to prop me up with encouraging word. Now, it's nice. I'm human, all right? But if I live for your approval because I'm not grounded in the ultimate approval of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, then I will use you and I'll use this job to be my life. It is essential, church, that we be about drinking in the love of God for us personally. It's my prayer over the next several weeks, over the next couple months, that as we dive into the book of Ephesians, that we become more and more convinced of the power of gospel, to, power of the gospel to free us to the love of God. And that's what these tables are all about. Jesus gave us these elements so that we might literally come up here and taste bread and drink wine or grape juice, whatever fermented or non-fermented, whatever your choice is, and literally taste and know the love of God for you. That's why I tell children when I talk to them about these tables, I say, don't take a little tiny piece of bread. You You grab a piece of bread. Eat. Eat this bread. I wish we could have bigger cups. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to have a big dinner. We've talked about that. And just drink and eat the love of God for us. His body, His blood. This is what I've done for you. That's what Jesus wants cemented on our brains and in our hearts. Well, why do we need this series? Let's take a look at this video to get an idea. Okay. Yes, I think the church is needed in today's society. In your opinion, is the church still relevant in today's society? Okay. Yes, I think the church is needed in today's society. Oh, in your opinion, is the church still relevant today? 
I think that's something that's a personal choice, whether it's relevant to you or not. Uh, in your opinion, what are some things that the church is doing well, and what are some things that the church could do better? Well, I think the church could help more people. Right. In what ways do you feel like the church is still relevant today? When they start uh, letting people from all walks of life come, you know what I'm saying, come there to visit and try to, you know, be a better, uh, be more strength to the people, be more spiritual strength to the people. Yeah. What is it that you think that the church is doing well, and what is it that you think that the church could do better? Okay, when it comes to the church doing uh, better, uh, I think, you know, they can do better at connecting uh, with the millennials, connecting with uh, young adults. Um, I feel like in our current generation, I think we're kind of slipping away. And I think finding that connecting point um, to, to get us back into the church. Uh, in your opinion, is the church still relevant today? Yes, it is. The church is relevant today to people who study to show themselves approved, who are able to rightly divide the word of truth. What is the church doing well, and what is something that the church could do better? Um, personally, I do not belong to any affiliation, um, but people that I do know, I would say that to do well, they, they create a community. Um, to do better, I couldn't answer that question. Like I said, I'm not affiliation with anyone. So, uh, Why is the church important to you? Because I believe in God, and uh, I go to confess my sins. Uh, why is the church important to you? The church is important to me because I am a person uh, who believes in God, who believes in the higher power. Uh, and so I believe the church uh, plays a role in connecting us with that and leading us uh, in, in the right way. Um, so I think the church is needed to still help lead us in today's society. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> awesome. awesome. All right, as we go uh, around Memphis, and thank you, Terrence, for doing that. Um, as we go around Memphis and ask people, um, is the church relevant? I think what we need to see is that uh, for many Christians, it's not. And that's why we're doing this series, because I, I think we need to hear a very clear, convincing argument from the Word of God, which is not hard to make, of why the church is essential in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And for that to be heard, we have to believe that God's Word is His Word. Um, because the only truth is God's truth. Um, and if we don't believe that, then we're just one voice among many. Um, and so I look forward to this series, and we're going to kick it off next week. And one thing that we've not really emphasized, or I hadn't heard it emphasized, is the reality that we really want you to invite somebody new next week. Um, this is a great opportunity. Uh, come to church, stay for a, uh, a fish fry, and, um, and just hang out with this church family and see if maybe this is a place that you might want to be. Um, especially those of your friends that are unbelieving. We would love for you to invite them um, here to downtown church. We want to be a place where people can question and where people can, um, can struggle and do it publicly um, with us um, and hopefully be convinced over time of the reality of God's truth.